Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bit About Crypto. I'm David James, the job whisperer. And once again, I'm here with my co-host, Dave Hampton, robo-recruiter. Welcome, Dave. How's it going? It's going well. So um, we, uh, we actually own blockchain recruiters, and we recruit in the entire blockchain space. And blockchain is going to take over the world, and there are going to be two, two kinds of people in the world, those that come willing and those that come dragged into blockchain. Indeed. And yeah, and it's it's just blown up. So what we do at Blockchain Recruiters is we aggregate people throughout the entire crypto sphere, NFTs, you know, <laughs> blockchain, hyperledger fabric, whatever it is, we aggregate those people. So if you're somebody who actually has a project and you actually need to hire somebody, you should call the Robo Recruiter right here because he does all that intake. He's all forward facing with clients and you can find him. Tell him where you can find you, David. You can find me at uh, Dave at blockchainrecruiters.net. You can call me, uh, my work line, 760-513-6151. You can try me on my Twitter account. That's BC Robo Recruiter. So those are the ways. Yeah, man. And uh, if uh, you're looking to repurpose your life or you want something in the blockchain space, then send me, David James, an email. David J at blockchainrecruiters.net. So the fact that at the time that this show is going to air will be probably uh, the second week of February or later. And by that time, Dallas Cowboys will have won the Super Bowl 63-0 to zero to whomever they've played. So I just want you to know that's going to be the prediction. No, I'm, not, I'm totally kidding. So, Man, you're such a joke. <laughs> anyhow, uh, everybody knows I love Bitcoin. Everybody knows I, I love BitBlock Boom. As a matter of fact, we, we recently we had uh, Gary Leland on the show. That was pretty good. He was, he was really yeah. – people yeah. realize it, that he's, he's, he's stupid like a fox. Right? He's so smart. And when you listen to his ingenuity and his insight, right, he yeah. – uh, he put that thing together, and as a matter of fact, I, that uh, BitBlock Boom has outgrown Dallas, and now it actually will be in Austin next year. We're going. Yeah, thank yeah. God. Yeah, we're absolutely good. Yeah, and thank yeah. God for Bitcoin. I mean, it's still going to be hot as, you know. It's grease? Yeah. It's just, I mean, yeah. And you're from Dallas. I'm from Dallas, yeah. Yeah. Very, very, uh, I remember those unpleasant summers Yeah. Where, where you couldn't get relief at midnight or at 6 a.m., well, so. our next guest is actually from Dallas, but she's a lot of things, right? She, uh, she literally, uh, I actually met her uh, at BitBlock Boom, and I, uh, <clears throat> um, I don't know how it is I got her, but I remember I said I wanted to know more about her. And, of course, we're recruiters, and we hear about someone, we get their name. What do we do? Look them up on LinkedIn. Look them up on LinkedIn. That's what I did. And Haley Lennon, Esquire, uh, she actually, she's a... Uh, I don't know. You're you're pretty smart. I don't know if I'm smart enough to talk to this gal because she went to MIT, and At least she, she got a like a fintech certificate. Yeah, fintech certificate. Went to MIT, right? She she's a JD. She's a lawyer. So anyhow, I just I think she get tired of talking to someone like me after five minutes. Run out of things to talk about, right? She'd be looking for someone smart like you. I don't know. But anyhow, um, hey, with no further ado, <laughs> let's bring on Haley Lennon, Esquire. Thank you so much for joining us here on uh, Bit About Crypto. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, the little that I do know about you is that Dallas is home. Uh, you lived in San Diego for 10 years where you went to law school. And now you live in San Francisco? I'm in Santa Barbara currently. So I was in San Francisco the last four years uh, working at 
uh, Bitflyer and Coinbase, but with COVID, I I jumped ship and left the big city and um, I'm in Santa Barbara right now. Yeah, so lucky. McConnell's is the best ice cream on planet Earth. Yeah, it is. It is. So if you need to get over there, but anyhow, yeah, uh, that tells you living in Santa Barbara, and so yeah. good, good for you. Um, Beautiful. It's beautiful here. Yeah, it is. It's, especially if you can actually see those sunsets if you go up to the Riviera. It's just there's, right. there's just nothing like it. It's, yeah. it's so great. Uh, sorry, uh, went down memory lane. So yeah, it's okay. I'll tell you this: that anybody, if you live in Santa Barbara long enough, your entire neighborhood will burn in a fire. So that happened. That happened to me in '91, and my best friend actually happened to him in '94. Yeah, that's just, yeah, it's, it's a it's an issue. We're having rain today, so that's good. We're always grateful for rain. We'll take it. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so yeah, so tell me about yeah you grow you growing up. So like just from from the informative ages all the way like through high school. Tell me what you did, who you were, what your family was like. Yeah, so um, so I was born in New Mexico, um, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, grew up for a few years there on a dirt road. Um, entire family from Dallas, and and went to high school there. Um, I am kind of a exception, I think to most attorneys where I, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer since I was really little. Um, my grandfather was an oil attorney, um, in, in Dallas. And he actually tried to talk me out of going to law school. He was like, you're going to have to like, you know, spend nights and all nighters and weekends studying. And it's just horrible. And he, so most of my childhood, he tried to talk me out of going to law school, but I just knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, I thought I wanted to be a trial attorney. I was definitely wrong about that. I do not want to be a trial attorney. Um, did, did you actually get to be a trial attorney? Is that how you know that? Or do you just talk to other people? Or how, how did you figure that out? I think both. So I, uh, right after law school, I went, I started as an associate at Gordon and Reese. Um, and I was doing commercial litigation. I only got to go to court and be in front of a judge a few times, but I just, um, I don't mind public speaking, but for some reason, the pressure of that, I just really didn't enjoy, um, all, all the sort of like formalities of it. And, um, also being an associate's hard, you have to pay your dues in these, in the, yeah. in the law firm and, and you don't get to actually interact with the clients as much. So for me, it just didn't feel like my calling, you know, and now that I'm in Bitcoin, I can say that is my calling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I yeah. get it. I get it. I also noticed, I just jump around here, but you actually went yeah. at the Gomez Law Firm, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, well, it's funny because I know John Gomez. You do? Right? Yeah, yeah, which is like, you know, I live in San Diego, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, he's, he, I, he, I know he's an attorney, but he strikes me. I don't know him through law. I know him personally. He right. strikes me as a really earnest guy. Like he, really, he is. He, like, yeah, I um, he's really well known in... in um, in San Diego for his personal injury work. It, what's funny is I actually all through law school, I nannied. And so I actually nannied for him and his wife uh, and their three kids throughout high throughout law school. I kind of like would, you know, when the kids were napping, I would do some of my legal homework uh -huh. and stuff like that. Um, and then after about a year with his family, um, you know, he knew, he knew I was in law school and I said, you know, uh, either ask for a recommend like a letter of recommendation or just if he knew what law firms he would recommend me apply to. And he's like, why don't you work at my law firm this summer? So then I got to be a summer associate there, which was awesome. Um, and I did enjoy that actually. He does a lot of traumatic brain injury um, litigation and like high profile slip and falls at, you know, Starbucks, that sort of thing. So it was a pretty interesting summer for me to kind of get to shadow some of the, 
you know, partners there. Yeah, well, I said to him, I said, I hope I don't need you. Right. And I, <laughs> and, I, and I said, I especially hope I don't meet you like on the right. other side. Right. 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 Yeah. No, he, he's, he's an amazing attorney. Um, I would say one of the best in San Diego. So I, I was really lucky to, to get to work with him. Yeah. So I, I don't want to brush over this too quickly. So you, okay. You're in high school. Did you do any type of sports or did you just like keep your head? Soccer. Down? Okay. Where'd you go to yeah. high school? Um, so I went to high school one year here in Santa Barbara, uh, Laguna Blanca. It's a private school, but then I moved to Highland Park High School Park, in okay. Dallas, Texas, um, played soccer. We got second in state my senior year. Um, I also sang in choir all throughout high school and in college. So kind of dabbled in a few things, but, um, and debate and that sort of thing too. Yeah. Debate, of course. So, <laughs> so then you're graduating high school. So were you like ninth grade at Laguna Blanca? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hope Ranch. And then moved back. Yeah. I kind of did a bunch of jumping around. I was raised by a single mom. And so we had a lot of flexibility sort of in, I kind of want to go see what Santa Barbara's like or Dallas and all my family's from Dallas. Um, you know, I was like fourth generation Highland Park high school graduate or something. So it was, it was neat to like go back there and experience that sort of like Friday night light vibe. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's where, uh, yeah. that's where SMU is. That's that whole area is SMU okay. essentially. Yeah. Did, did, did you know yeah. No, no, I, I, that's, uh, that's your hometown. I can talk to her about it. I, I know where Laguna Blanca is. I know exactly where that is. <laughs> I, could, yeah. I could drive you there at night. So, yeah. uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, no, I haven't. Um, so it's funny. So you go to MIT. And so I asked this question. So like when you're like a junior in high school, sophomore in high school, what do you think? I mean, you've already decided you're still going to be a lawyer, right? This is still part of the plan. So what? So, so I didn't, I didn't go to college at MIT. I went to Loyola Marymount. Um, but MIT, um, oh, once that's, I was that's the fintech. I'm sorry. Yeah. So you go right. to Loyola. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I started at Loyola Marymount in LA. Um, a big part of the reason I went there was I, I was talking to them about potentially playing soccer. I ended, I ended up not playing soccer in college, but, um, they offered, uh, I majored in business, but they were one of the few colleges that you could do an emphasis in business law. So even in college, I started learning how to like summarize case law and things like that. So I, I, I really liked Loyola Marymount for, the, for that reason. There were some great teachers and, you know, just sort of felt a little bit more prepared when I went to law school. So, yeah, it's, it's funny. So did you live in Marina Del Rey when you went there? I did. Yeah. yeah. For most of the time I was on campus um, so, you know, I like LA a lot. I may move back there next, uh, next year. Um, once I need that big city feel again, but, um, it's, yeah. It's I, funny. You and I have this in common. We both live in Santa Barbara, right? Mm -hmm. We both went to high school in Santa Barbara, not the same place. Right. Yep. Uh, I lived in Redondo, right near, okay. just right up to, you know, just down a little bit more south yeah. of Marina del Rey and San yep. Diego. It's really funny. That so, is funny. So, so loyal. Okay. So loyal. So that you pre-law and so you're going to go to law and do you know what type of like law you're going to do? I mean, you, you're no, you just got to be a law yeah, to figure it out. Yeah. You don't have to, I mean, unless you want to get like your tax LLM or a very specific legal degree that might take an extra year or something. Most people just, you know, go to law school. You don't have to choose an emphasis or focus or anything. Mm -hmm. um, and the first year is pretty much like law 101, like contracts, property law, torts. So you start to get a feel for the different areas that, you know, 
your legal practice could touch touch on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can start to, you know, really choose your electives and start to focus on areas that are you're actually interested in possibly pursuing. So I'm going to ask you this. How did Bitcoin find you? So I'm very lucky that I went to law school in San Diego because I'm not sure if I hadn't everything would have happened in the same order or as early on for me. But um, so I graduated from law school in San Diego. I started practicing law at Gordon and Reese. um, And then I joined, I I really wanted to go in-house. I wanted to become an in-house counsel, but oftentimes companies don't want um, someone so junior to be in, you know, general counsel or in-house at their uh, company. So I found this smaller company in, in San Diego called DollarX. And what DollarX does is wholesale currency exchange for little exchange centers along the Mexico border. Hmm. So anyways, I, I joined them as in-house counsel. I was a second year lawyer. I was Googling everything. Like when I had to write an employment agreement, I was Googling, look, trying to find templates. Like I was really, and they knew that, you know, and um, my pay reflected that I was young and learning, but I was really excited about it. So I did sort of everything there as a general counsel, but because they were um, doing currency exchange money, um, dollars to pesos, I quickly started to learn sort of like the and the anti-money laundering and different compliance efforts that a company like that has to have. And so I got super interested in financial crime, anti-money laundering, that sort of thing. I got my ACAM certification, which is, it stands for the Certified Anti-Money Laundering Specialist. It's a test you can take much easier than the bar. Um, Do you have to be a lawyer? Do you have to be a lawyer to take it? You don't. No. Um, Most uh, people who are are working in some sort of financial compliance roles take it. So a chief compliance officer or a compliance analyst would it would be good to have. Um, But I really think it's all the background information of financial crime and anti-money laundering efforts. And so it gives, I think, anybody a pretty good baseline understanding of the reason some regulators or government um, sort of stress the, the ability to misuse Bitcoin. Um, and so it kind of, I think it could arm anybody to better understand that. And then also understand the things that the industry is doing to like combat any increased risk of money laundering or financial crime. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so now you found your call and you found, Hey, I'm I'm excited about this. And and before you go on to that, I bet I bet now that you found Bitcoin, I'm just going to jump ahead a bit, but then you probably look back at what dollar X was doing and you were saying, Hey man, these these people are criminals. I mean, I'm sure they didn't start out as criminals, but then, you know, power corrupts, right? So, well, what I'll say about uh, working at dollar X is it really stressed the reason for Bitcoin and why people why a company or a person individually would benefit from it. Yeah. Talk, talk um, about that for our audience. Yeah. yeah. Please. So, so pretty much what dollar X was doing was the actual physical convergent converge and conversion. What? Okay. Conversion. The physical, you know, conversion of Bitcoin to pesos 
armored trucks taking it from these little exchange centers to the banks um, and all that friction of physical dollars, the security around it. Um, And so I just started to really realize like how inefficient sort of traditional financial systems and currency are. And so then I started, I was, my boyfriend at the time was starting to talk about Bitcoin a little bit. I didn't really get it, but then, um, but then I started to really understand like, why can I send an email to someone and they'll get it immediately frictionless, low cost. Um, and the only way I can do that with Bitcoin or with, you know, traditional money is to use PayPal or Vedmo and it's still relying on traditional banking systems. And there's still, you know, there can still be delays in getting that money into your bank and Bitcoin kind of removes all of that friction and, and makes it so you don't have to rely on banks and their business hours and banking holidays and that sort of thing. So what I really wanted to get to is, is what I saw your, your then boyfriend was sort of talking about Bitcoin you weren't paying attention and you started, yeah. what, what actually happened that got you orange pilled? I mean, yes. to the point where I see you at BitBlock, boom, right? So if you're, right. Bit, you don't just like have a little Bitcoin or own a little grayscale no, trust, no. you know, you're a, like a, a self-custody multi-sig, you I'm know, in it. Kipes, <laughs> a coin kite, you know, user, yeah. right? So talk about how you got orange pilled. Yeah. So, so about two years into working at, at Dollar X, Silvergate Bank reached out to me. And um, Silvergate Bank, for, for your viewers, is sort of the, the largest and earliest bank that banks cryptocurrency companies in the space. And they reached out to me and said, you know, we want to we wanna bank this industry. We don't really know how. We're not sure what we should be looking at from a compliance or due diligence standpoint. So, but what you're doing at DollarX in terms of understanding those little exchange centers along the Mexico border, that's exactly what we want someone to do for the coin ba- the Coinbase's and the Krakens of the world who want a bank account. And we need to document why they have a strong enough compliance program to warrant that. And so I joined Silvergate. Um, and pretty much as soon as I started meeting some of these early projects and exchanges and like their executive team or their founders um, and started hearing about the different use cases they were experiencing, the different, um, you know, clients and areas they were, um, you know, servicing and giving access to Bitcoin, my mind just like I was really blown away at just the potential impact for, for this technology. What what year was this? Two thousand, I think fourteen. Okay, maybe, maybe late two thousand thirteen. So it was pretty pretty early on, um, and yeah, pretty much right. That I mean, I would say within my first week or two at Silvergate, um, may, you know, my role was taking these companies and doing the due diligence on them and writing an executive summary that sort of weighed any of the. Um, risk that that company would pose if we provided them a bank account, whether it be that they didn't have money transmitter licenses like they needed to, whether they didn't have a strong enough compliance program, whether there was a lot of uh, consumer protection issues, like if if a lot of customers were suing them or just like bad, uh, you know, customer reviews online. So I was sort of like looking at the whole world of, of these companies. Um, and like I said, it was just sort of that 
aha moment when I started really like summarizing and presenting them to our executive team and saying, you know, we should bank this company. Here's why we shouldn't bank this company. Here's the things they still need to work on before we can. Um, I just like lit up and, uh, and yeah, I think once you go down the crypto rabbit hole, like you can't, you can't go back. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. You guys are both from Texas, right? So, um, it's, it, it's 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 really 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 interesting. So, but you 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 found yourself actually from there, then working. I know you did Bitflyer, but you went to work for Coinbase. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so you. I mean, you're probably talking to Brian about a lot of things. Correct? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I worked directly with Brian um, before they while went public. I was- yeah. Yeah, he uh, Brian Brooks um, was the former chief legal officer of Coinbase. Like he's a huge part of the reason I joined Coinbase, Mm -hmm. um, because I just knew that you can't really have a better mentor or a person to learn from. He's so passionate about the space and um, well educated on the space and articulate about the space. And so, um, yeah, you know, being able to be with him and regulators in the same room was a pretty irreplaceable um, experience. So, so why why did you leave? Uh, well, you just, I mean, you you left like just over a year ago. Why did you leave? Yeah. So there was a few reasons. One uh, is the opportunity that arose at Anderson Kill. It was I uh, talked with them for quite a while. Took a little break in between, but. Um, Uh, Anderson Kill is the current law firm I work at. The other is that Brian Brooks left and went to the OCC. Um, And when that happened, I just felt like some of the aspects of my role that really had drawn me to be at Coinbase um, just left with him in some ways. And, um, you know, at Coinbase, they have a thousand employees 35 attorneys in-house still still rely heavily on outside counsel also. And so I just wanted more of an opportunity to sort of like lead um, an organization because and have more of a seat at the table um, and not be, you know, in such a big sort of in-house law firm almost. Can can you talk about what your current thrive is as it relates to what you're doing with Anderson Kill? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I guess it's crazy. It's already been a year. It feels like I just joined, but, um, I think that's a combination of how busy we've been and, and COVID kind of makes like (laughs) time go by in a weird way. Um, but, uh, but so I joined Anderson Killery about a year ago, um, as a partner there, the law firm in general is really well known for their insurance work in the space. Um, but they've, you know, been very supportive of there being a smaller group of crypt- cryptocurrency digital asset only focused attorneys. And so I joined Stephen Pally and Preston Byrne, uh, two other well-known crypto attorneys in the space. They were already there. So I sort of joined their team as the third partner to, to le- build out their cryptocurrency practice. And what I brought that that they didn't really cover as much yet, um, based on all my experience over the last years at Coinbase and Bitflyer and Silvergate, is really the regulatory anti-money laundering, money transmitter laws, uh, you know, SEC regulation. Um, and so what I'm really doing is helping clients 
be start start on the right foot in the U.S. with regulators um, getting licenses, or on the back end when things go south with the regulator. So, so who's who's hiring you guys? Right, start startup exchanges. Sure. Or, or, yeah. Yeah, pretty much any type of cryptocurrency company you can think of. So we um, we've helped we helped an exchange apply for a full national bank charter. I helped a company go through their. FinCEN IRS money laundering exam. Um, I'm helping a client that's an exchange get their 50 state money transmitter licenses. But we help, we help startups too. Um, Preston focuses on transactional and corporate things. So when it comes to entity formation or um, uh, anything having to do with like equity or cap tables or um, contract negotiations, um, we have we we kind of cover the full stream of things for cryptocurrency companies. So I'm gonna I, 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 you're uniquely qualified to answer this question. I have a few guests who can answer it. So okay. as far as the price of Bitcoin, all right. Yeah. So there's been speculation that if we were to traditionalists who actually buy self custody and hodl and hold Bitcoin. There are two schools of thought. School of thought is it's going to be really good because that's going to get exposure to Bitcoin and it's going to make the price go up because then people can actually, institutional people that don't want to buy grayscale or don't want to actually self-custody or doing that Michael Saylor stuff, they can now just take a position on the uh, on the ETF. But the problem is is they there's feelings that the price could be manipulated. And I've had this argument with my friend, like, you know, we've had the GameStop thing happen and we've got gold, right. which is artificially. But but basically, I, I don't, you know, on Wall Street, those guys, they're, they're just thieves and criminals. And the rule on Wall Street is break any law you want. We will actually get it reversed with our lobbyists in Congress. I'm I'm paraphrasing yeah. it, but yeah. I'm not paraphrasing it. Right. And so I, 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 I have some personal opinions on it just from what I experience and what I watch and what I yeah. learn. I'm trying to watch what people are doing, not what people are saying. Mm-hmm. And so just before we talk about why there is or is not an ETF, yep. can you tell me what you think about my hypothesis? Yeah. I mean, the, the way I think about cryptocurrency is pretty much every criticism people try to peg onto cryptocurrency, whether it's true or not is a criticism that could usually be made about traditional finance or money. Um, so I, I think that's one aspect of this. I think the idea of market manipulation, um, you know, the regulated exchanges in the U.S. do a lot to prevent market manipulation, um, including, you know, trades, surveillance, surveilling the trades that are going on, mm-hmm. um, prohibiting insider trading so employees can't go buy a coin a week before they know it's going to be listed on an exchange. So there's a ton of efforts that have gone into this area. Okay. Um, and you and watched I, that happen at Coinbase. I mean, this is the first I'm hearing it. You oh, watched yeah. this happen at Coinbase. You're saying that that we're pretty strict on none of the price manipulation. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would have to um, disclose, you know, on a, I think, monthly or quarterly basis, any new coins that I had purchased, um, 
but then there was also just a general rule of like, you know, a, a few day window before going, being listed that in, any employees that knew had non-public information couldn't, wouldn't buy those coins, weren't allowed to. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of efforts there. And I mean, like even uh, NASDAQ and certain vendors help these exchanges do trade surveillance to make sure there's not like wash trading or that sort of thing. So um, you know, I, I think my personal opinion is that some regulators are running out of reasons to reject things. And then they just keep going back to the same sort of narrative of Bitcoin's used for money laundering. It's more used than the dollar for criminal activity. It's anonymous. It's the wild, wild west. But it's not anonymous. And we know that. It's prone to market manipulation. Like those five comments have just been what certain agencies or regulators fall back want on. Want the narrative to be. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It, it's getting tired. And so the funny thing yep. about it is, is I've, I've asked myself on, on what, when I hear these things that I, I'm just, I, I'm just calling not accurate where they say, yeah, whales are manipulating the markets. I'm just thinking to myself, you know, you gotta, I don't even know it. It would have to be someone like Michael Saylor, right? With their, their, their three, 400,000 Bitcoins. They would have to like, it, it's like the guy that's got, $5 billion worth of Shibu Inu. It's like, well, if you try and liquidate it, you know, you'll crash it before you sell 5%. Right. I, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? So I don't know that I believe it. I'll tell you what I do believe, okay? And, mm -hmm. and I'm going to talk about two things. I think the price of Bitcoin, the reason it's not nearly as high is I don't think there's real price discovery on it because of so many people who are trading on margin, all right? And, and when the stock market goes bad, Right. Oh, well, we buy high and sell low. Right. So everybody's like just liquidating everything that they have. And part of that mm -hmm. is their Bitcoin holdings. But I I do think that that there's something. Can you comment on? I just want your opinion, not legally what you know. Just. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know enough about how margin, you know, impacts price discovery. But what I'll say is like, um, I think that there's been ways in which the conversion between different coins can be seen as sort of manipulating the market. And like, there was that report that came out, I don't know when to a year or two ago yeah, yeah. about how Tether, Tether and Bitfinex were the sole yeah, reason. There's, there's no money. There's no money there. It's a fraud. Right. That, right. That's, right. And, mm -hmm. and there was, and there was a report and research done and I can't speak to the validity of the results or, and the report, but that, you know, that some of the tether movement and then conversion into Bitcoin had been part of the reason Bitcoin went up to 20 K, you know, a few years ago. Um, so I think that people just like hear these certain stories and then think, wow, that's, that's not safe, you know? And so like the SEC, what they're, what they're charged with doing is consumer protection. There's some questions to be asked if, where that really, where the line should be drawn about like, are you really protecting a consumer if you're just not letting them partake in a market they want to partake in? Yeah, right. Um, right. Absolutely. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but they're the regulator, you know, you mentioned the ETF, they're the regulator who um, they've now approved a futures ETF, a futures Bitcoin ETF, but they have not approved uh, the Bitcoin spot ETF. The problem with the the spot uh, ETF is is that if they actually have it and trade it, then the entity, the exchange, has to have it. 
they actually have to possess that much Bitcoin. Yeah. It has to be that. So there needs to be an audit. It's like, okay, you traded a thousand Bitcoin. Let's see them. Right. Whereas the ETF where the, where the futures trade, they don't have to have any. It's right. it's it's literally it's like it's it, they're the bookmaker and they're betting the outcome of a football game. Are you taking the Rams? Or are you taking the Broncos? That's exactly what it is. Rams lower Broncos higher. Right. And then if you take if you go higher and it goes lower, then the, the people that lose pay the winners and they take a small vic. Right. So the reason that it's easy to do that. Is, is because they don't actually have to possess the Bitcoin. And this is what I think when they actually have an actual physical Bitcoin ETF, there'll be, there'll be no way they can rehypothecate. And that's why I actually think it's good. But I do, I, I, I'm really, really glad. And I, I was hoping this is, I'm going to ask you the question right now, because when I actually make my case for Bitcoin, right? And I'm a, I'm a, I, I told everybody that I, I have positions and I have trades. Okay, my position is Bitcoin. Everything else I have is a trade that I will eventually sell to get more Bitcoin. I just think there are some other coins that accelerate faster. Yeah. And I'm, for example, Cardano went from $0.09 cents to $2 uh, in, in a year. Okay, Bitcoin didn't, didn't 20x, right? So there's the opportunity there to liquidate that and get more Bitcoin. I'm just saying, and I, I know when I explain that at BitBlock Boom, you know, they want me to like to go to Opus Day and whip myself, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Repent. It's like, yeah, no, like, no, no. My strategy is to get more Bitcoin. What's your strategy? Yeah. Just to hold yeah. the Bitcoin you have and watch it? So, yeah. potato, potato. But So, in order to support Bitcoin and to talk to people about Bitcoin and why Bitcoin is solid, I think of every way I can destroy it. What would I do if it was my job to destroy it? How, how could I possibly destroy it? I think China did us a great favor. Thank you, China, for reducing the 50. If they were smart, they would have subsidized everybody. They would have had 70% of all the miners there, right? And then all of a sudden, they would have actually nationalized it, and they would have done the 51% attack, right? But, but thank you, China, for your, your wisdom, because you want your crappy CBDC to work. And, and you know, I'm digressing. So. What I think is going to happen, I think the next attack when the Fed, right, and all this bogus money print, printing, it just realizes yeah. we've got 50 pounds of water and only one little bag of Kool-Aid, and it's like it's not even colored anymore, let alone sweet. Right? Right. When they realize that about the money, yep. they're going to find a way to prevent the on-ramp and the off-ramp, specifically saying you may not use Bank of America or Chase to actually buy or cash out Bitcoin. Now... This, I mean, that's where I'd attack if I had was cloaked in the men's power of the government. Can you speak to that? My, my, uh, my conspiracy theory. So, I think that would have been more likely a few, like two, three years ago. There's actually in the last like two years with Brian Brooks joining the OCC yeah. and then more, more recently the OCC agreeing with him. Pretty much Brian joined and, you know, I don't think he tried to hide. That's that the office of the current currency controller. comptroller of the currency. I just for our audience. Right. Go on. Yes. Yeah. So the office of controller of the currency really oversees national banks and in some ways like monetary policy, that sort of thing. Um, so Brian Brooks left Coinbase, joined the OCC uh, to lead that. And part of his initiatives were surrounding cryptocurrency and this um sort of just like clarifying guidance, nothing really new, but just saying, hey, you know, banks have always been in the United States to help safekeeping of crypto and, uh, sorry, of, of our property, of our money. Um, there's safety security boxes that you can put gold in or jewelry or whatever you want. And so he really 
stress the point that cryptocurrency is no different. So um, pretty much we have the OCC comptroller of the currency and who came after him agreeing that banks can hold crypto, they can validate nodes, they can deal in stable coins. Um, I would argue that a bank could do the exchange of cryptocurrency itself and then custody it. So uh, I think it would actually be very difficult. It wouldn't be impossible. That's an area they could try to attack. But there's you know different I, concepts of sort of fair access to the banking system. And it's kind of frowned upon for a banking system to completely um, unbank an industry unless you mean it's, like cannabis. I was going to say, unless it's federally illegal. Oh, OK. OK. So, um, yeah, so there's no frown there. OK, I understand. Right. That. I mean, there's it, something. To, no, no, it is. It is federally illegal. I, I totally understand. Which okay. is, you know, that's, well, I won't bring up my opinion on that. But uh, but yeah, I think I think uh, your opinion, same as mine. Yeah, so. I, I think so. You know, I think the Silvergate banks of the world kind of like charged forward with this initiative years ago and said, hey, you know, these these companies deserve to have operating accounts. They need to pay their you know, employees and rent, but they should also be able to have trading accounts with us because they have dollars coming in and then they're giving converting it to Bitcoin. So uh, I, I, I think that that's a good attack vector, but I'm not sure. I think I actually see some bank getting more into this space more aggressively over the next few years. Yeah, well, the good news is, is every day that goes by that I see something like uh, the Grayscale Trust right. or that Visa is paying yeah. or that PayPal is buying and all these yeah. things that I'm seeing, that means there's one more dollar going into one lobbyist pocket to actually That's pass true. a line that Bitcoin good Banks bad. I mean, you know, just every day that goes by, I'm going, yeah, yeah. We're, we're getting to that point of no return on that. I think so, too. I mean, I think that the relationship with crypto and banking is has always just been such an interesting one, because in many ways, and we don't think about it a lot here in the United States, because our banking system functions relatively well. You know, we can go yeah. to the bank, and you trust your money's there, and inflation hasn't completely destroyed the dollar yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, but in yeah. the uh, in, like in other countries, forty percent there. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> but in other countries, um, you know, there are people who either don't trust their government, don't trust their banks, um, don't trust the people that are supposed to be, you know, taking care of them, um, or don't even have access to bank accounts in general. Like in some countries, uh, a woman can't get a bank account unless her husband signs on to it. So, um, or there's you know, pl places that don't have access to banks. And so in my mind, like Bitcoin in a way fixes the problem of banks, but crypto companies still still need banking relationships. Um, and so I think we're seeing like a more of a merging between the, those two industries. You'll appreciate the story I'm about to tell you before we get, okay. to, get to the end, right? Because it's for our audience, but you know, so uh, I'm a stud I, I like I like crime stories, I like mafia stories, I like cartel stories. I like I like yeah. when they do those reenactments, cocaine cowboys. I like seeing yeah, like how everybody did all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So basically, 9/11 happened in 2001 September, and it was 2010, right? Nine years later, right? Bush was out of office, right? and uh, Obama was in office. 
And what ended up happening is there was a law that was passed that all online gambling in the United States was illegal, right? Party poker gone, poker stars gone, everything was just gone. It's like, what happened? What happened? It was like, yeah, we don't want users actually being robbed by these casinos. And the truth is, any casino knows is you don't rob the users. You just run an honest game, and eventually the house will get it all, right? right. So the, the, none of that was accurate. It wasn't true. So right. here, here's what was really happening, all right? <clears throat> you would have a bunch – you would have six guys living in an apartment, right, above some auto parts store in Brooklyn, New York, right? Six, six to a two-room apartment. They would just wait there for their Al-Qaeda orders. And what would happen is one of them would log on to Party Poker, some, some, a site like that, and they would mm -hmm. just qualify with $20. They would get $20. They would wire it to Party Poker. Somehow it would be in their account. And they would, mm -hmm. they, they would to, to, to a bank account that they would have or a Western Union that they would have. So what would happen is the, the Al-Qaeda money person in Karachi or wherever they were, they would get into a game together, right? And so what it would end up happening is <laughs> this person would bet $19 and the, the, the Al-Qaeda guy would bet 20 He'd raise by one more dollar. That person would fold, and now he's got $39 in. And so they would repeat that over the course of 10 minutes, and now this person's taking that $20, and now they have $10,000. They actually take that. Yeah, see, now I know this is your love language. You're thinking yeah. about this, right? <laughs> right. So now they, he, they'd say, I'd like to cash out, please, right? They go to the Western Union. Here's your $20,000. Then they would buy rider trucks. They would buy nitrogen. They would buy all the things you need to do to bring down. The, I mean, I'm just saying this is how that thing was. It took them nine years to figure that out. And yep. here, here's, an, here's another thing that people don't know the, the Al-Qaeda guys were doing. Is they were going to gay porn sites and they were using the message boards. They were literally, yeah, they were talking on the message boards. That's how they actually communicated. They didn't, just, they didn't think that the FBI was going to be looking on gay porn sites for, for Muslims. It's like, no, 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 it's too taboo for what they do, right? So, yes. yeah, like the, the, the CIA, we're the only ones that can be covert, right? Everybody else is stupid, right? It's uh, ingenuity. <laughs> but anyhow, hey, so what is your, your take on, on, on Bitcoin and, and where it's going and the adoption and pricing and just, just somebody who's been in the space who's looked at it? No, I think, I mean, I think that after so many years, it's very evident that Bitcoin's not going anywhere and it's yeah. here to stay, um, which is cool. Uh, and I think it was interesting when we've seen countries try to ban certain activity. You know, now we have a big um, movement of mining companies to Texas and other parts of the United oh, States. Yeah. So, like, these activities are good for different, you know, different countries. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that the U S can kind of fix some of the regulation that, that makes it harder for companies to expand in the U S but, um, but in general, I, I you know, I, I'm very optimistic about the price. I actually, I'm surprised we haven't seen another high, high shot up. You know, I was, I saw some price predictions of like a hundred thousand by end of year, um, I don't think we're going to have sort of that, that last minute pump, but I think over the next few years that those numbers are more than likely. It's an absolute certainty because yeah. I've watched Bitcoin since 2013 and yeah. it's gone by 200% every year. Yep. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, last year at this time, Bitcoin was 2000. Now we're at about 60. That's two years. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, that's 200%. So this time, so Christmas time of 2022, Right, Bitcoin will be, you know, at one hundred eighty thousand. 
or 150 yeah. without it. Yeah. Doubt. I, I still have people, you know, every single year I've been in the space, I've had people say, Oh, you're so lucky you bought Bitcoin last year. I'm too late every year. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not. Someone said that to me last year, you know, like, so I think that we only have a continued like up trajectory to go. And, um, and I think that's because of what the technology allows like this sort of decentralized finance yep um is just to me it's just as revolutionary as the internet um more but more yeah no i i would i would agree i just yeah i don't think we've even like scratched the surface of what what this technology is going to do for for everyone yeah i, I want to share the story for my audience and for you right when yeah. i first got so the guy told me about bitcoin i knew i was going to get it right away or seven minutes of conversation i'm going to get me some right yeah. and when he told me about it right it was like 70 but by the time i could get the money it went to 210 right mm -hmm. so i bought mm -hmm. 10 bitcoin 200 $2, right and it's like there you hey. go. and then i yeah. went then and that was a lot of money in 2013 because i was called recruiter coming out of the recession Right? Yeah. And then what ended up happening, I, I, I rounded up another 2100 bucks. I was going to buy 10 more. And then yep. and this was in uh, of September of 2013. And the price had skyrocketed to $380. And I said, that's oh. a ripoff. I'm not <laughs> buying that. And then I watched it go to 1300 And I remember sitting there on the steps outside of the office that I used to work at with my head in my hands going, it's over for me. I've missed it. I'm, all, all I'm ever going to have is 10, 10 Bitcoin, right? And so, yes. of course, that didn't happen, right? And, you know, Bitcoin right. has been purchased, you know, at, at prices even higher than that. So oh, the yeah. thing about it is I'm trying to tell people, if you can get one-tenth of a Bitcoin, one that right now, that's if you can find $5,000, you, you're going to have in the top 5% of Bitcoin holders in the world on planet Earth. Yeah. It's going to be the biggest transfer of wealth on the history of the world. But I got yeah. one more thing to say is I'm talking to my yeah. other friend. It's like, there's no way they can stop Bitcoin. They would have to turn off all the power and they would have to turn off the internet on the entire world. Yeah. Right now then we have bigger problems. Yeah. Right. <laughs> then you got bigger problems. But what I, what I'm saying is it's like, well, what if they legalize it? Then, then I guess, uh, El Salvador is going to be like the, the new Baylor university where they actually do the yes. baboon heart because all the money, <laughs> all the, you, you watch El Salvador will be like the new Bahrain, the new Saudi yeah. Arabia. Right. Cause yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's amazing, uh, you know, that they, they've had it become legal tender and had such a sort of forward thinking view of it. Um, yeah, I mean, what I always tell people is, um, to, and the way I started buying Bitcoin, um, was sort of uh, cost value averaging. So doing a direct buy of $100 or $300 or $50, whatever your like risk tolerance is. And, and you know, after a year of that. Um, and stop looking at it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't really look, I don't look at the, the only thing that makes me look at the price is Twitter because people start saying, oh, it's dumping again or, oh, it's another you know, bear market or bull run. And then I'm like, okay, what's happening? But I, I don't usually check the price often. And one more last thing. So one of my golf buddies, right, who, who, who I've known, he called me when recently Bitcoin took a 25% dive. I don't know when this show is going to air, but it went from like 70,000 to yeah. like low 40s or something like it. Just, yeah. It dove. Yeah. And he calls me up to 44,000. Like, yeah. And he goes, hi. I told you Bitcoin was a Ponzi scheme. I said, no, you're the same guy that told me that when I, I told you at $200, I bought it. And you said I was an idiot. 
Okay, forty-four thousand dollars is still a lot more than two hundred and ten dollars. Tim, yep. Tim Thurman. That's right. Yeah, I'm calling Tim. you out, you non-coiner. Yeah, I'm <laughs> Tim. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow. Yeah, and you can still beat him in golf, can't you? Always, and I beat I beat him by seven. See, strokes. That, that's even sweeter. Isn't yeah, because if if you beat by seven strokes, if if you win by less than seven, it's, you just won. But if you beat by more than seven, it's an ass whooping. And, and Tim, I've always given you those ass whooping. I don't think you've ever beat me. Anyhow, uh, Haley we're gonna Lennon, check that. Yeah, he's beat me a few times, especially, <laughs> especially when I first started. Haley Lennon, thank you so much for just being so generous with your time. And uh, there's all of her stuff. So if you need to talk to Haley. If uh, you want to be a lawyer in the Bitcoin space, that's right. Yeah, she's pointing to it. I can, for those of you who are actually listening on Spotify or Apple, right, that's at Haley Lennon BTC, right? And uh, if you want to get me on Twitter, I'm the BTC recruiter. That's me. Come on, Travis. Let's get it going. Speaking of Travis, thank you so much, our engineer. Give a little plug for the sticky paws. Let's hear it. Oh, here it is. <laughs> that's a sticky pause and of course I couldn't do it without you I'm sorry I uh, I dominated this conversation I know that's kind of uh, yeah uh, it's very it's very unlike you to dominate the conversation for me to talk so so, so unlike you to yeah, dominate yeah, the conversation so, and yeah you really need to do you need to get to the yeah. Toastmasters because you're a little too shy <laughs> anyhow so brother and remember everybody I'm David James and remember most importantly get whisper. Yeah.